Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Producer Brittany Martinez here to tell you that Moments will be taking a two-week break while Candace is in the WNBA playoffs. We will be back with new episodes on October 26th. Before we go on break, please welcome Vivian, Asa, and Xanthi's dad, Adam Mansbach, author of Go the Fuck to Sleep. First, I want to say hashtag girl dad. I would love to hear a little bit more about just your kids. It's not hard to get me to start running my mouth about my kids. Um, I've got three daughters, like a farmer in a joke. Um, the oldest one, Vivian, is 13, which is bugged out. I can't believe that I'm saying that. Um, I guess her primary responsibility is making me feel, trying to make me feel like I'm old and out of touch. She doesn't like succeed that much because I still consider myself like young and hip, you know? But we definitely have battles over every single song she listens to because this oh my is a goodness. kid. You know. Yes, we're going to get into this. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like, there's a time, there's a beautiful time when your kid is beholden to your musical taste and they really have no choice but to listen to everything you play them. So she grew up listening to like James Brown and Stetsasonic. Oh, Sonic, I love it. You know, and like all this classic hip hop and all this classic funk. And she started rapping. She started singing. She's like very gifted in these regards. I started reliving my own adolescent rap dreams by penning rhymes for her. And she was recording stuff and we were having all this fun. And then at a certain point, she started to like assert her independence and tell me that it was not okay that when we listened to the pop station in the car, I labeled every single song as hot trash. She was like, you're hurting my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) So now, yeah. So now we play a game where like, she'll play me a song and then I'll play her whatever it is that that song is badly ripping off. And we'll talk about like where that music comes from and what it's borrowing from and what it's riffing off of. And right now, anyway, that's like a sweet spot for us. My daughter, my daughter's 12 years old. And if you ask her, they invented all creativity, like her generation. I had to show her like we went on a um, a YouTube deep dive of like Soldier Boy because I was like, we were doing dances before TikToks like this. You guys didn't come up with this. So we went down Soldier Boy. We did, you know, Lil John and the East Side Boys, and you know, and she's like, "Well, we we are better at it." That's her only response. So I feel <laughs> you on the tween teenage drama because it really is something that's in our house as well. Yeah, it's funny because on one hand, I know that she goes to school and feels superior and feels cool that she knows like all this '80s hip hop. I know she goes to her friends and is like, you know you don't know nothing about this Stetsasonic or whatever. Um, But then she comes home and she acts like she didn't just spend her day, like, you know, flexing on people with that knowledge. 
So I'm anxious to hear about your other two. Yeah. So my uh, my four year old Xanthi actually just started school like two days ago. Um, she could not wait to go to school. You know, like so many kids, preschool was delayed for a year for her because of the pandemic. And this is like a very social kid who heartbreakingly has spent like the last 18 months, you know, she'll like meet a kid once on the playground and be like, that's my best friend. The people she'd be talking to would be like, you must be Adam. (laughs) We heard you wrote a book called Go the Fuck to Sleep. And I'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's pretty funny. Um, And then her her little sister, Asa, is uh, two and a half and you know she's 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 just like a a a freight truck basically she's just incredibly like energetic she's really funny she she spent like a year trolling us by not speaking when she clearly knew how to speak um like i'd be like asa can you say papa and she'd be like no the only words she said for like the first 2 years of her life were like hot tea happy apple in various combinations. So you, you've gone from, you had one, and then, you know, obviously having multiples, you're, you're playing man-to-man, right? When you have two kids. So it's like man-to-man, we call that man-to-man. And then when you go to three, it's like zone defense. Because I don't know that experience. I have one daughter, so I'm a little nervous um, about going, you know, going for two. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm lucky in that regard in that the age difference between my first and my second is like nine years. So, you know, we were in, in, a, in a sense, when Xanthi came along, we got to play three on one because Vivian was like kind of on our team, you know, um, she's old enough that she's like more of a help than a hindrance most of the time. And she's a really good big sister. She's very helpful. She's really good with the kids. She kind of digs the fact that they're looking at her like an idol and she can do no wrong um but yeah like two kids under the age of three which i had for a minute there two kids isn't one more kid than one it's like a million more kids than one things like coordinating hoping that they like nap at the same time trying to get them to go to sleep at the same time especially when the my my two youngest are 21 months apart so it's like by no means are they the same age, by no means are they developmentally in the same place, but they're sort of close enough that they end up in many ways getting treated like they are. They go to bed at the same time, you know, in theory anyway. They take naps at the same time, in theory. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole different ball game. So I have an older daughter, and I know there are others out there that have older kids, and they're, you know, kind of starting over a little bit, having having young ones, what advice would you give um, in making sure that those older kids still are on your team, but still feel included? Because there is, you know, whatever age you are, especially being an only child for as long as she was, a little bit of jealousy. So um, Vivian has a different mother than my two youngest kids. So for her, you know, it was it was buying not only into having more siblings, but buying into kind of a new version of her family, which luckily for me, she very much did. Um, she, she, she loves my partner, Jamie. She loves her sisters. Um, Viv worries that she is going to be the odd girl out in a way. Like she's very cognizant of the fact 
that these kids are much closer in age and that they're going to like share things that she's going to be outside of that she's going to like go away to college, you know, knock on wood um, and like not be there for things. So weirdly enough, like what I deal with with her is this kind of like FOMO feeling like she's going to miss out on parts of like her sister's childhood. Like Xanthi started school this week. This was the week Viv wasn't here. And she really, really wanted to talk to her, really wanted to hear how her first day was like, you know, called and called until she got Xanthi on the phone and like got to hear about it. That um, is precious. It that is, is precious. absolutely <laughs> precious. Because as a little sister, um, my brother is 11 years older than me, my oldest brother, and my middle brother is eight years older than me. So in ways I can kind of relate with, with Vivian, just because you do feel that like your other two siblings have this connection. That's so precious that she takes the time and wants to be involved and, and makes a concerted effort to, to be that big sister. Yeah, no, it's nice. And um, it's interesting, my, my partner, Jamie, she is nine years older than her youngest sibling. So she kind of knows how to relate a little bit. She can kind of guide Viv through it a little bit. And she did not get close to her siblings until they were all adults. That's me. Same thing. That's, your, that's that same thing. Yeah. Our, we went to Vegas and then they were like, our little sister isn't our little sister anymore. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, it does take some time and you know, it's cool to be able to relate. I think that that's the biggest thing, especially with your partner to be able to relate to her and kind of share different stories. But I do, before we jump into go the fuck to sleep, I do want to talk about, you know, having multiples. I mean, going from having one little one to then having two, you know, what were those conversations like when, you know, she was pregnant and you were going to have another one? I was on a book tour and Jamie, my partner, to her credit, waited until I got back from this tour to tell me that she was pregnant with Asa. And I was like, I just, I did not speak for several minutes. I was like, we're going to have two kids under two. This is going to be bananas. Like, I feel like my life is very manageable right now. I've got the old, I've got Viv. She's, you know, helpful. Xanthi is like talking now and toilet trained and like, it's all good. I, what? <laughs> like, we're going to do what? Um, it took me a minute to wrap my mind around that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome to our Capital One Cafe break. Each week, we'll chat with a Capital One parent about their relationship with family and finances. Today, we're talking with Caitlin Haggerty, Senior Vice President of Card Partnerships at Capital One. We've got uh, a little girl who's almost five will be entering kindergarten in the fall. So that's super exciting, big milestone. Um, it's gone by so fast. Um, and then a little boy who just turned two. Oh my goodness, so you've got your hands full. Were you the one that really understood working parents and things like that before experiencing it yourself? Definitely not. In fact, like I have a lot of guilt uh, for how I may have been as a manager of people. I worked very hard coming out of college and I worked for over a decade before I had um, my first child. Once I had kids, I really realized just how important work-life balance was and how hard it was to make those trade-offs. How do your days look now that you are a mom of two? I used to think I was an early riser, but my son has shown me what early rising really is. Uh, so he likes to get up at dawn every day. Um, and my husband and I actually take turns with who gets the joy of uh, getting up with him as the sun rises. 
These days I'm right back at my own home um, to work from my virtual office, which feels a little funny to go home to work by myself. Um, but I'm lucky that I have the childcare option during the day too, because I know that's been really hard for a lot of other parents. Um, and my husband brings them home and we sit down for a family dinner. What would you say now to someone that is going through the process um, of kind of getting back into the workforce? What advice would you give other parents? For those who have the ability to do so, and I, and I know it's not everyone, I would just encourage people to take their time. Like that's one thing I didn't do with my first. Like I had a lot of pressure on myself to get back into it right away. Um, and in fact, I was working part-time just a couple weeks after she was born and I ramped up pretty quickly to 100%. Um, and in retrospect, like that was totally unnecessary. Like everyone would have waited for me um, and the world wasn't gonna end if I didn't show up. Um, and so I think it's important to have that time and for people to feel truly ready and rested and like they've got the support system they need. Were those conversations um, around the dinner table surrounding money as well? You know, I think I was really lucky growing up because my parents were small business owners. So I saw them paying business bills in addition to our household bills. And it was less talk and more showing me. Uh, and I worry now that for my children, it's all less obvious, like especially in the digital world. Um, I had this realization with my daughter that she doesn't actually understand how I pay for things because I don't use cash anymore. Um, and so I spend a lot of time now trying to under explain the concept to her of like, well, I do have a credit card and I work and, you know, money goes into my bank account. But like, that's really complicated versus watching your parents, ha you know, hand over a $20 bill. What would you say about what Capital One can offer parents or others. Yeah, one of the features that I'm the most excited about using myself as soon as my daughter turns eight is our money teen checking, uh, which the, the name says teen, but it really for any kids over eight can use it. My children are never gonna balance a checkbook the way I did as a child, and they'll probably look at me like I had free heads if I asked them to do that. But money teen checking is this great tool where kids can get their own debit card, can understand how to save, how to budget, and the parent can have visibility into that um, and, and help with that all from a mobile app. You know, we're, we're constantly looking to innovate and add more tools so that people can digitally manage their money um, and become more financially savvy. As parents, we know that when it comes to our kids, it's not do as I say, it's do as I do. When it comes to modeling financial literacy, Capital One's got your back. Capital One is introducing the next generation to saving and setting financial goals and building tools and resources for parents to reinforce positive financial habits with your kids. They make it easy for us to raise money-wise kids with their money teen checking account. It helps kids learn how to manage their own money while giving parents oversight into their journey. Learn more by going to CapitalOne.com forward slash teen checking. Hey, welcome back to Moments with Candace Parker. That all brings us to your book, Four Parents, Go the F to Sleep. Um, the, it, was, it was right, my daughter was born in 2009 and I actually received your book as a gift. Can you just talk about where this came from? Like how this started and also just how relatable you are to so many parents that didn't wanna say, go the F to sleep. They, right, exactly. And that, I mean, that, that's really what the book comes down to is it's not an original sentiment. It's a widely held sentiment that on some level was forbidden to say out loud until the book came along and kind of gave people permission. It was, I think, cathartic to parents to know that they were not alone in these feelings and also that these feelings did not make them bad parents. 
like the book is not about being a shitty parent. The book is actually about like being a good parent because you're not saying this shit out loud. You're just thinking it as you put the kid to bed. Um, yeah, the book, I mean, I wrote the book when Vivian was two years old. Sleeping was very low on her list of priorities. I would sometimes be in her bedroom for like two hours trying to get her to go to sleep. Another thing that I've done differently, by the way, is uh, with Vivian, we practice what is called attachment parenting in terms of the sleeping, which is like, you know, when the kid cries, you like run in there and you pick them up and you cradle them and you tell them you love them, which ensures that the kid feels very safe and secure and also that they're going to sleep in your bed until they go to college. All the time. Yep. Yeah. Layla did not get out of my bed until, yeah. Like yeah. Now, nah, Vivian four. would like make a nightly migration into my room till she was six, seven. So that's not what I do with these younger kids um, at all. Uh, but so the book just came out of those frustrations and of the the paradox of like, you know, you, you know, you can love your kid to death, but also be willing to do anything to get out of that room after a while. And, you know, I read Vivian a lot of these like cutesy little bedtime books with like bunnies and kitties and little A, B, C, B rhyme schemes. And they're all kind of like insipid and insufferable and they don't get the kid to go to sleep. And, you know, they, they just, they pissed me off kind of as a parent. So I thought it would be funny to like mash up one of those books with the actual internal monologue of a parent. So I basically just sat down and wrote it one afternoon. And I didn't, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer by trade. Like before I wrote Go the Fuck to Sleep, I actually, I was already in this business. Like I wrote novels and stuff. Um, I didn't originally think that Go the Fuck to Sleep was publishable necessarily. I thought it might just be for like a few friends of mine who were also bad parents, you know? Um, but I sort of gradually read it to more people. I remember reading it to like a big family gathering, you know, people in their 80s down to people in their single digits. And like everybody laughed. Everybody thought it was funny. And I was like, huh, maybe maybe I have something here. Um, sent it to my friend Johnny Temple, who is a publisher of an independent publishing house in Brooklyn called Akashic Books, because um, I knew he had a couple of kids who also didn't sleep. He was one of those parents who did the thing of like driving the kids around until they fall asleep. He was He would routinely like, drive through at least three of New York City's boroughs in the effort to get his kids to go to sleep. Oh, yeah. hundred yeah. percent. That and the washing machine. I think those oh, are wow. the two go-tos before all these, like, you know, bells yeah, and whistle Yeah, the washing machine. That's have, a good you know, one. That's but, very, that's old school. I appreciate yep. that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, anyway, Johnny, Johnny was like, yeah, this is hilarious. I don't think I can publish it. I was like, no, of course not. Like, that would be ridiculous, you know. Um, but we both kind of kept thinking about it and showing it around and uh, eventually Johnny like brought it into his local bookstore. Cause we, we couldn't even figure out like, where would you stock this book? You know, like we knew it wasn't like the kids section and they were like, yeah, we put, this is hilarious. We would put this in the parenting section. I remember Johnny called me on the phone. He's like, yo, there's a parenting section. And I was like, oh, <laughs> because you know, I wasn't really up in the parenting section all that much. Um, and things kind of went from there. like. I did a reading of the book uh, several months, like six months before it was meant to be published at a museum in Philly where I was living at the time. I wasn't living in the museum, but I was living in Philly. Um, and, uh, and like people thought it was really funny. And I went home that night and went to sleep. And the next morning, the book was ranked 
like 125th on Amazon. And this was a book that was not going to be published for six months from a little tiny independent press nobody had heard of, from a guy who, if he was known for anything, was known for writing like, you know, serious novels about race and identity, you know? So like, I was like, which, you know, routinely sold in the dozens of copies, you know what I mean? So like, it's like, whoa, something's going on here. And by the end of the week, the book was number one on Amazon, this book that did not exist yet. So from there, things kind of went crazy because the book started to get attention and people were trying to figure out like, what even was it? All that was on Amazon was like the cover and one sample um, page, you know, and it just stayed there at number one. Like we knocked Tina Fey out from number one and just stayed at number one and frantically tried to rush publication forward. We got it out in time for Father's Day instead of like in October. Um, Sam Jackson did the audio book. Man. Yeah. I have to tell you my favorite passage because I think most parents can relate with this. Um, is hell no, you can't go to the bathroom. You know where you can go the <laughs> F to sleep. Yeah. My daughter tries every single anything like her stomach hurts um you know she needs a drink of right. water but the bathroom excuse is the one that just used to yeah. get me well it's interesting because you know now i have these kids at all different ages and they're still pulling all this shit like vivian you know who at this point you know she's 13 she i let her i let her live she stays up we'll watch a movie you know but like often she'll come down with an existential crisis exactly at bedtime like she'll come in to my room and like flop down on the bed and i'm like fam what are you doing go brush your teeth it's time for bed it's a school night and she's like <sighs> and i'm like what does what does what that mean can you translate that into english for me like what is that what does that sigh mean and she'll be like what if i don't want to go to college <laughs> you know or like yeah, something, something huge, huge. Yeah. or like, no. or like, my generation is so problematic. <laughs> I'm like, yo, are you kidding me right now? Like, go the fuck to sleep. Like, can we not talk about this in the morning? Like, so she'll pull like these, but you know, it's very smart of her because if there's one thing I always want to do as a parent, it's like, have good open communication with her. And like, it's very important to me that she be able to like, talk about what's on her mind and I want to like have these you know these open channels so she's she's pulling that um my middle kid Xanthi actually is usually annoyed that no one will let her go to sleep namely her little sister like she's she's incredible I think because she has to sleep in a room with her little sister she can sleep through anything there are nights there have been nights where Asa is screaming for two hours and we're ignoring her because we will not bring her into our room, which is what she wants. And Xanthi just sleeps through it all. So like Xanthi mostly is like, could you all stop fucking around and let me go to sleep right now? Um, Xanthi, Xanthi, one of Xanthi's like catchphrases in the past couple months, she'll just, she'll say, I'm, I'm always tired. I'm tired all the time, which I feel like makes me look very bad as a parent. I'm like, fam, could you, I love this could you kid. stop with that? Like, I love this kid. You're not, we let you, you know, like, um, but Asa does the thing you're talking about, which is like the trip to the bathroom, which if you're not a parent, that might sound like no big deal. Like, sure. Like what, you know, let them, they got to pee, let them pee. But 
a crafty child can turn that into like a 30 minute extravaganza. 30 minutes. Wow. <laughs> it's like an hour. Layla would do that and she would get like whoever was over at the house, let's say like one of my friends and they'd be like, oh, just like, it's okay. Let her, like you said, let her go to yeah. the bathroom. And you're like, no, cause this is going to turn into a drink yeah. of water. And then this is going to turn into like, it's like when you give a mouse right. a cookie, that right. analogy, like that's how it is with kids. So what was the first experience that you had going to a parenting event after the book go the go the f to sleep because honestly i just want to know were parents like running up to you like i can relate to you so much or was it kind of like you were standing off into the corner by yourself and all the parents are like i can't believe that yeah i mean it's funny it was a, it, i've definitely experienced all of those things i mean my oldest viv goes to a waldorf school so like i don't know how familiar you are they like do a lot of arts and crafts there's this there's this heavy emphasis, especially in the younger years, on keeping everything very kind of gentle and dreamlike. So like being the guy who wrote Go the Fuck to Sleep definitely did not make me a popular dude. I mean, I think there were parents in her class who appreciated it, but like the overall ethos of Waldorf is not one of like cursing or carrying on. You know, it's like they don't even pronounce they they like have their own pronunciation system like they don't say little they say like little you know <laughs> so they were like they weren't really fucking with me too much parents in general yes were like yeah i mean the emails that i would get i, I mean to this day like i still get emails from parents who are like thank you grandparents um you know whenever anybody challenges the book which has happened quite a few times like there have been censorship efforts and people writing to me and being like, I read and being like, I would never read this book to a child. Like, which, you know, I'm still perplexed by like the mix of literacy and illiteracy that it would take to mistakenly read, go the fuck to sleep to like, it says fuck on the cover. Like, you know, like <laughs> exercise some common sense here. No, it's true. And, and that's what I was going to get into is just like the critics. I mean, mostly, mostly it's just confusing, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, the funniest thing that happened was probably there was this group in New Zealand called Family First New Zealand that tried to get the book banned in New Zealand, which first of all, like, like New Zealand, you know, like, that's not really the first place you think of as like a bastion of like, censorship, you know. Um, but they put out this press release that I thought was hilarious that was basically like, while this book may be harmless and even amusing in the hands of normal well-adjusted adults it could pose a real danger to children in the hands of aggressive dysfunctional parents and i was like you know in the hands of aggressive dysfunctional parents like everything is a danger to children like a, a spoon is a danger to children you know like um but what ended up happening i mean the great thing about the book is that it was well received enough by enough people that I didn't usually have to defend it because someone else would. So like in the case of the New Zealand, the Family First New Zealand folks, the woman who read the audiobook for Australia and New Zealand is this wonderful woman named Noni Hazelhurst, who I had never heard of. But if you're from that part of the world, she's like a children's television presenter and also a serious actress. So she's like LeVar Burton and Meryl Streep wrapped up into one package and she like went on tv and basically told these people to f 
fuck off. And they did. And that was the end of it. It was like, it was a wrap. So nice when you have somebody to do your, yeah. Yeah. To say it. Yeah. When you don't have to. Yeah. No, she was like, she was the enforcer. She was, she was like the Charles Oakley of go the fuck to sleep. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was great. And like, and in other cases, the librarians of America like stepped up. There were other censorship uh, uh, attempts and, and the librarians are, you know, librarians are the best. They were like, nah, we're not going to do that. Like this book is not only safe, but also like important. And we're, we're not going to like stand for any of this. Um, grandmothers waged war on our behalf. Like, you know, it was a funny thing because for this book, the kind of moral high card was generally held by like grandmothers, you know? So like if the grandmothers are rocking with you, you're generally going to be okay. Um, no, you're good. If the, yeah. if the grandmas are rocking with you, you're, you're great. Yeah. And, and I think that this speaks to the different ways that you can parent and the different ways that you can relate to other parents. You know what I mean? And, you know, obviously comedy is huge in your family. It is huge in mine. You know, we got blessed every Saturday when we sat around the table by my brothers poking fun at whatever. Uh, my dad, my mom, everybody, nobody was um, off limits. Grandma, she could get it too. <laughs> um, what are some of the conversations that you talk to your kids about? Because I'm sure maybe kids might say something to your kids regarding what your book, you know, your book or whatever. Um, how do you have those conversations with your kids regarding differences in yeah. parenting and opinions? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, when the book came out, you know, when the book came out, Viv was like three and a half. And, you know, the, the kind of extended whirlwind of the book lasted a long time. So like I was out doing gigs for the book, running around for the next few years, you know. Um, so one important conversation with Vivian was really about cursing and like, you know, when and how it was appropriate. Because Viv is no dummy. She was like, this is a free pass for me to say fuck whenever I want. Oh my gosh, I love her. Yeah. Like, you know, she was like, she, could, she was like, if nothing else, I should be able to quote the name of the book. And, I, you know, so the conversation was sort of one of when, you know, when it's appropriate and when it's not and reading situations. I mean, for me, what's the conversations 